The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining this episode 891. If you can believe it, if I doubt a podcast, I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore. Joined today, as I always am, by the lovely, talented, and indeed scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. We are running against a um, a poop clock, <laughs> I guess you could say. And sorry for people who may be sensitive uh. to conversations about certain bodily functions, but you are... In the middle of preparing for your colonoscopy. Yeah, I'm in the middle of preparing. In, in, in a very literal sense, <laughs> you are in the middle of specifically the period where you are preparing and, and being cleaned out. And, and you have started that process and yeah. we sat down to do the show and we're like, okay, are you going to have to say, hey hard edit here i need to go to the bathroom you know how's this gonna work and i guess we're just gonna find out in real time yeah listen if there's any hard edits both video (laughs) or audio it is likely because clench the butt cheeks run to the bathroom yeah i'm i'm too dolkalax in i haven't drank the uh for those of you who haven't had a colonoscopy yet, yeah, tell us tell us the process because well, people what, are afraid of it. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing I want to dispel is don't. I mean, we're making jokes because it's diarrhea. You know, you take a bunch of laxatives and then you have to go to the bathroom to clear yourself out so they can shove the camera in your asshole and then <laughs> scope around and see if there's anything uh, not good. Yeah, in the purview of the what's the doctor gastroenterologist is that what they are i believe so yeah you would think i would know but i don't so you you drink this powder in water yep and then it initiates the cleansing uh-huh at six o'clock i have to do that but i'm already i've prepped by taking some dolcalax and drinking a lot of liquid and drinking a lot of water mm-hmm. uh today it's so weird it, it is it, the weird thing about it is is how I'm not going to be eating until tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. I haven't eaten since Wednesday night. Like at nine o'clock was my last food. Yep. And then today I'm on a clear liquid diet. Mm-hmm. Like I can drink chicken broth, but that's, you know, that's. <laughs> mm, what a f- filling meal. <laughs> yeah, give me a burrito. Yeah. But I can't, it's just chicken broth. That's it. Yeah. So I won't be able to eat until after my procedure tomorrow at like noon or so. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a a day and a half and change, which is fine. It's not like a, ugh, I'm starving. It's, I I I've gone days without eating. It's fine. Yeah. But so it's a lot of pooping. 
a lot of diarrhea. And then you go in and they do this. It's going to be an uh, endoscopy. I have to think because I always mispronounce it and call it an endoscopy. Mm-hmm. It's an endoscopy which goes into the into the throat, into the stomach to see mm-hmm. what's going on there. And then with a different camera, mm-hmm. <laughs> they go into the uh, into the into the to look through the colon. Yeah. And this is my one year. One year ago, almost exactly one year ago, I had surgery to remove about 35% of my colon because I was found one month prior to that to have a bleeding tumor inside of me. Mm -hmm. And it was causing me to be anemic and I felt dizzy because I was, you know, didn't have the full run of blood in me or whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Stage two cancer. Stage two cancer. Yeah. So go get screened. Don't want, be be a grown up about it. Yeah, you're gonna have some diarrhea. The prep is not as bad as everybody says. Whatever. I had a t- CT scan on um, Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Yeah, Monday. Monday or Tuesday. Had a CT scan and uh, waiting for the results of that. But I'm expecting everything to be good. I do have a little, you know, natural trepidation about. I hope I don't. Because I went into it super confident last time. And that, that you didn't have cancer. Yeah, that it was like, ah, this is just cursory this is, or compulsory. This is just performative to go through the steps to, and then, bummer, cancer. Yeah, it illustrates the difference between us and our temperaments that um, you were, your default position was optimism. That despite despite the fact that you're anemic and they're trying to figure out, I mean, you must be bleeding, so where is the, the blood coming from? You're like, well, it's not cancer. The blood's not coming from cancer. And you're just going into it super confident. <laughs> I I did not have the same approach. Yeah. I remember waiting for you because you, you need a ride when you go get a colonoscopy because mm-hmm. you wake up still loaded. And I was your ride, and I was waiting for you, and I was out on the phone with my godfather most of the time. I think the entire time I was waiting, I was talking to him. And I was like, you know, what else could it be other than something serious? (laughs) I mean, that was my approach. Of course, I was still shocked and upset and horrified when they said, you know, we can't tell you that this is cancer, but this is cancer, you know. Um. And but but my default position was you know catastrophic thinking, which is in my it anxious is, person nature. Absolutely, that's yeah. It is the it's the dichotomy between us that I oftentimes don't think things seriously enough. Yeah, and you take things seriously for the both of us <laughs> extra. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, that's what's happening tomorrow today. If you're watching it on YouTube. I am likely in the throes of coming out of anesthesia or whatever twilight drugs they give you. Yeah. Um, uh, fentanyl, right? I don't know. It's like it's like a... I think part of it was fentanyl because we, we read your paperwork and we were oh. making fun of it because last year that was also like the talking point from conservatives that they were putting fentanyl in the Halloween, Halloween candy. candy. Right. And so we're like, oh, look at it. Also, people are like, you know, they think that you are in the general vicinity of fentanyl and you start overdosing. Like and- every cop who's like, ah, I, I was six yards away and yeah. then I had a reaction. <laughs> yeah, when that's not how that works and every symptom that they're describing is more similar to a panic attack than it would be in opioid overdose. Racing heart with a drug that stops your heart. (laughs) (laughs) So 
yeah, so I think that's what you had. But we'll we'll see. We're we're hopeful that everything is clear, but we will of yeah. course be be sure to let everyone know, just like we did last time when we found out you had cancer and had to come on the show and say Jesse has cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So less than ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so fingers crossed that that won't be happening again. So And fingers crossed that I won't be rushing out of the room to go poop my pants <laughs> in the middle of the show. That would be great. Less editing for me. Yeah. So let's, before we move on, I, I want to thank our, our Patreon supporters, uh, our new Patreon supporters. I would like to invite anyone who is not a Patreon supporter to come on board. We do our end of the year gift every year. It is in the throes of being prepared, being uh, settled, what the design of each, whatever the gift is going to be, we, we, we're not saying uh, but if you want to take part and you want to get in on that gift, all you got to do is become a patron by any tier by the end of the year. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast is where you go to take part in that and join in not only getting something in return, but also knowing that you're helping this show move the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis and take part in what we consider important work. That was very impressive filling for me while I panicked since I could not get into the email to check the new Patreon supporters, but I did now. Okay, that's just a little how the sausage is made, and I don't like that phrase. You know, things are really going downhill. I'm panicking. Okay, thank you to our new Patreon supporters, April G. April G. And Adam CJ. Adam CJ. Yes. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Uh, every little bit goes a long way. If we were to marshal the size of our audience and if if 5% or 10% were to just give $2 a month, we could fundamentally change the operation here, reach far more people, do more creative, um, more high production things that we really want to get into doing. And it's through your support that we're able to do that. So thank you very much. We love and appreciate you guys very much. So we have some listener communication that we want to start with. We're going to start with a message that we received from a Patreon supporter on Patreon. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I enjoy watching you both on YouTube. My childhood is somewhere between Jesse's and Brittany's. Think the version of Christianity, Christian nationalism that is the religious front for white supremacy with a healthy dose of toxic patriotism. I believe Jesse refers to this as fake-triotism, quite the apt term. Although being raised very low income, parenthetically, never enough money to have food, heat, and electricity all at the same time, I went to a private evangelical fundamentalist Christian school right up through college. Throughout middle school, I was forced to attend the Bill Gothard seminars, if that gives mm. you any indicator of the extreme beliefs of my mom and those she kept my siblings and me surrounded by. Anyhow, I escaped as an adult by embracing my critical thinking skills when I realized I had been lied to about the LGBTQIA community. I then started asking what else I had been lied to about. Most importantly, I asked why I had been lied to. It's been a 14-year journey of deconstruction and relearning. I'll tell you one thing, though. I absolutely am terrified watching my own government try to force people like us back into the fold and the lengths they will go to to get it. I escaped for a reason. Anyhow, thanks so much for what you both do. Those of us who have an understanding of what Republicans are trying to force onto all of us have an ethical and moral responsibility to call it out and to do so loudly. I teach college students. You teach me and others. And for that, I am grateful. Best, Tiffany. And like I said, Tiffany is a Patreon supporter, so thank you so much for the message as well as the support. And I should say... 
this message is in response to a voicemail that we got on episode 889 where a listener asked us how we escaped our upbringings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well Tiffany, listen, thank you very much. It is it is nice to know that there's a community of uh like-minded individuals who grew up under the same the yoke of the same oppression and indoctrination and that uh it is it is heart heartening to know that you you escaped as well and that a lot of people have. Uh I didn't go to a Christian school. I didn't go to uh, a, a school where they just make you do workbooks about dinosaurs and humans living together in harmony. <laughs> but I have dear friends in my life, lifelong friends who did grow up that way and were robbed of. Um, I mean, they were robbed of it in the in the in the in real time, and then they've had to do a lot of the catch up um, that I believe you probably had to do, Tiffany, where you. You have zero pop culture knowledge. You don't have an accurate understanding of history, both ancient, you know, geological history relative to like the dinosaurs going back that far, but also just the history of the United States, believing that, like I talked in a video yesterday about believing that the the Constitution was a divinely inspired document that drew from the Bible to structure our government. All of these these ahistorical understandings and teachings of the history of the United States that are put upon a vast swath of Americans is, I mean, I'm using this term very loosely and colloquially, but it's a, it's a criminal. It's, you're not doing a kid's service. You're, you're harming a child by teaching them things that are just patently false. And there are millions and millions of people out there who, who undergo this type of indoctrination still to this day. Yeah. Well, and I think Tiffany's background is likely very much in assets in Tiffany's work with the students sure. that that are in the classes that she's teaching. So I think that that's awesome and happy to have you on the team, I guess we should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, keep spreading the word, you know, keep the faith, quote unquote. It, it, it's good to have people out there who do have our background who can speak to um what we went through so uh thanks for the thanks for the 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 email tiffany we appreciate it um if you would like to communicate with the show you can it's it's, i doubt it at dollamore.com is the email address or you can do like this caller did and call and leave a voicemail 657-464-7609 here's nathan in colorado hey jesse and Brittany. it's nathan in denver i am Standing in my wood shop trying to figure out what I'm going to do to start making money again as I have been unemployed for three months now. I was laid off at the beginning of August and fortunately had some savings set up, but nonetheless uh, finding myself in a position where, like many other Americans, there are just no jobs available. Or the jobs that are available usually will send you an automated response within two to three days saying, that you don't qualify even if you have all of the qualifications. So as I'm standing here, I listen to the intro regarding student debts and I don't have a way to pay them. I don't have a way to pay them at all. My, my wife's income is supporting us entirely right now. We've burned through our savings. We have no way to pay these. And when I went to sign up for the SAVE plan like AOC and many others, uh, strongly urged us to do, my payments were in fact more than they would have been 
prior to the pandemic and the pause and all of this crap that's gone on, they're more than what I would have paid. And on top of that, I can't get any straight answers from my student loan provider, Nelnet, or the government for that matter, regarding the on-ramp period. So this whole thing is just, I mean, if we can forgive the PPP loans, and for God's sake, help the people like me out, help the people that are struggling. This isn't hard. Yeah, so I this is an important point with the income-driven repayment plan, and I've actually heard it from several people, not just Nathan, that it did nothing to help them with their monthly payments, or it is significantly adding to the total balance that they end up paying back over the course of their loan, right. like to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. I mean... That's not helpful (laughs) when you have an income-driven repayment plan. um, And the way that I've previously thought of those plans, it's designed to, number one, help reduce the monthly payment that you're making, but also, number two, get you to a point where once you've made a certain amount of payments, then the rest of it goes away because you've shown a good faith effort to repay that loan. And in lieu of them zeroing out the interest, I don't... I don't see what what the point is. I mean, they're just trying to turn a profit on all of these people's loans. People like Nathan, people yeah. like me, we talked about on the last episode, I made my first payment, $1,000, more than my monthly payment amount, and the entire thing went to interest. It is uh, sickening. And like Nathan brought up, the PPP loans, we can forgive those, but we can't forgive the student loan the student loans and they're now wanting to get what 14 billion dollars for israel like they can find money right when they want to right. that's the thing it's like if you want to get something done in the government then you will get it done and they just apparently don't care about all the people who are now struggling to pay their bills struggling to make ends meet because of these student loans yeah it, this is something and i'm not using this colloquially this should be criminal um a lot of things should be criminal today yeah, the the problem with it is is that like Ninet, I think your student loan servicer Nathan is the same as mine, oh. and and they didn't originate the loan. They didn't put up the money to give me to borrow to go to school. So they buy the debt pennies on the dollar. They typically is how it works. They buy this debt and then they earn money from that interest. This is predatory. It, it absolutely should be uh, tackled by Congress. We can't leave this to um, Joe Biden and executive orders. Congress, this is why voting is so goddamn important. You need to, We need to get an overwhelming majority of Democrats in the House and in the Senate and have them tackle this. We need to pressure the people in our party who are willing to do the right thing. And if they're not willing to do the right thing, you don't vote for them. You get rid of them. And we put a, pe- a a group of people in there who are willing to do the right thing for millions and millions of Americans who have done everything they were told. You go out, you get the education, you can get the job that you that you deserve, that you that you'll be happy with, that you'll be uh, productive in, and and then they're just left out there to 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 hang in the wind when they're they've done everything they've been told to do, and 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 they're not being they're not being taken care of. It, it's 
it should be criminal because it is predatory. Yeah, for sure. I was just talking to someone today about how all of the experiences that I've had as a poor person, like counting change to put gas in the car, yeah. um, my air conditioning in my car being broken and it being so hot in Southern California that by the time I got to work, my face was just like red and bloated and I was like <laughs> horrified to go into work. Um waking up to my electricity being turned off yeah. and then they wanted like $300 to turn it back on and I'm like I I couldn't I couldn't pay my bill. Where do you think I'm going to get $300 to turn it back on? Yeah, and it wasn't even like money to just oh we, you owe us 300. It's you we're going to turn it on when you come clean on the bill, when you come uh, full on the bill. And then we want a deposit from you in case this happens again. And that's the only way you get your power turned back on. Yeah, it's it's absolutely maddening. And I was telling this person when I was like apparently reliving all of my financial traumas <laughs> that it's I never want to let go of those experiences. I want those to be foundational experiences that I always remember and that I never feel too far away from because for people like Nathan and, and people who are out there listening to Nathan and saying that's almost exactly how I'm feeling. That's exactly what my situation is. You know, even if I am not in a place where my electricity is being shut off, I feel like I am in that place. Yeah. <laughs> I like never feel too far from that. And that's why I made that remark on the last episode that like for now I'm able to pay my loans, but we'll see what happens in the future. You know, we don't know. No and one I'm, knows. I'm being very realistic when I say that. I know it's a little like gloom and doom, but I think it's just realistic. You have to kind of be with reality on reality's terms. So I guess let's end on a positive note that we are going to keep fighting and talking yes. about this issue and that there is so much solidarity with people that I think are now seeing the injustice of this and that it's not right and that there should be something done. There should be a remedy provided by the government for this because it's not right. And there's a growing movement. And I think that that's important. We got to keep on fighting, keep on working for that. Yeah. Uh, we would love to hear. Thank you, Nathan, for the voicemail. Thank you, Tiffany, for the email. We would love to hear from you if you'd like to call, uh, ask a question, make a comment, just have a general point of view that you want to get across to help us move the conversation forward. You can call 657-464-7609. Of course, as always, you can email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Dalemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So one thing that we talk a lot about on the show is police behaving badly. Yeah. And that's not just to be like talking bad about the police all the time. It's that it's important to talk about the injustice of the police system and all the flaws that are just inherent in policing. Yeah, we we I, I always like to urge the audience to hold people in positions of authority and power to a higher standard than like for instance, you want someone who has the power to arrest, 
who carries a weapon, who oftentimes can, with a hair trigger, kill an unarmed citizen and then get away with it, you want to hold those people to a higher standard than you do someone who works at a drive-thru, working hard 40 hours a week at a Wendy's or something. And that gets lost on a lot of people. Cops should be absolutely held to a higher account. And, and that's what we do on this show. It's not about bashing cops. It's about bashing bad cops and holding bad cops to account. And oftentimes, there are too many bad cops. And I think oftentimes we're not hearing enough about certain stories. Now, this was reported by NBC News, which is a large media outlet here in the United States, but I haven't seen it be picked up across the other news organizations. And this happened in Mississippi. And basically what happened was a, a mother reported her son missing in March. And she went to the police, said, my son is missing. I need help. And it took seven months before the police finally told her that an hour after he left home, he had been killed by a police officer. He was hit by a car and they buried him without telling the mom for mm. for seven months. They yeah. let her think about where he was, worry about where he was. Toil over her missing son. When they knew where he was because of what they did. He was my only son. And I wouldn't have never thought this had happened to him. Betterston Wade says she last saw her son Dexter on March 5th when he left home after an argument. Days later, Wade reported him missing to the Jackson Police Department. Wade said she spent months following up and searching the city for her son, even asking for help online. He just disappeared off the face of earth and nobody knew where he was. None of his friends, nobody. What she didn't know was that Dexter was already dead and buried in a grave marked with only a number at a cemetery outside a county prison. All the time, he was right down there in the morgue. All they had to say was, Miss Wade, your son is in the morgue. According to his death certificate, Dexter was killed on March 5th, less than an hour after he left home when he was accidentally struck by an off-duty officer driving a Jackson police SUV near an interstate exit. Wade says police told her about the incident on August 24th, nearly six months after his death. Give me a reason to really why y'all did not contact me, why y'all didn't knock on my door. Wade said a coroner identified Dexter from a prescription medication that he was carrying and received the next of kin information from a medical clinic. According to Wade, the coroner was unable to reach her, but she was told Jackson police tried to contact her several times. Wade says she never received a call. It was, in fact, an accident and that there was no malicious intent. Jackson's mayor addressed Wade's case last week. There was a lack of communication with the missing persons division, the coroner's office, and accident investigation. Wade's frustration with the city runs deep. Last year, a jury convicted a Jackson police officer of manslaughter and the beating death of her brother. It was intentional that they did not contact her. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump is now representing the Wade family. We're going to petition the court to have his body exhumed and have a independent autopsy performed 
and then give him a proper funeral for his mother and his daughters and his family. How many times do we have to wade through stories about Mississippi being a nightmare for marginalized people, black Americans, how they're misusing the 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 welfare system to, to build volleyball stadiums for Brett Favre's kids' college. It's just sickening that people who should be, as we spoke about before, held to a higher standard are allowed to act as though they are free from, from, from consequence, but also just no standards whatsoever. They're just allowed to do whatever they want and treat people criminally. This is disgusting. Yeah, I mean, isn't this a story that you would think is like front page news? Yes. I mean, it just kind of illustrates what the priorities are in this country, that a cop can kill someone with his car. I mean, who the hell knows what actually happened? It sounds like a shocking cover-up. Yeah, I mean, and then seven months later, they're like walking her to the grave where they buried him with just a number on the mound. It's not even his name. There's a number on it. When all of... All of these elements that you hear, he had a prescription in his on his person. They knew who he was. They knew, they identified who the next of kin would be. And, oh, well, we called. We tried to call. Did you send a deputy to the house right. multiple times? Obviously, there's a failure here. And I. it seems to me reasonable to think that this is a cover-up, that this is police behaving badly and trying to cover up for their mistakes of inadvertently so it seems, killing an innocent citizen. Yeah. And Mississippi, it seems they're here for it. We'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email idoubtedatdollamore.com. If you live in Mississippi, if you live in Mississippi, um, we'd love to hear from you about this. Yes, we would. So we want to talk about uh, elections coming up, big elections coming yeah. up, including in Ohio. Abortion is going to be on the ballot in Ohio. So this is very important. It is issue one, and it is putting the uh, issue of abortion right into voters' hands. So issue one in Ohio would, quote, establish an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. So this is very important, and I I know there's been a lot of... Uh, effort on the part of Republicans yeah. to try to obscure what this issue, issue one, is actually about, what it will actually do. And I have really been happy to see local reporting doing awesome work trying to inform people and ensure that the conservatives that are trying to obscure what this is actually about are not going to get away with it. For advocates on each side of the abortion debate, this November is likely the most important Ohio election in state history. Access to abortion in Ohio is absolutely on a razor's edge. Our goal is to abolish abortion in Ohio. This would do the opposite. Issue one is on the ballot, and we are here to break down what it is. The language of the constitutional amendment says everyone has the right to make their own reproductive decisions, including contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one 
one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. It also says the state can't interfere with that right. So nonpartisan law expert Atiba Ellis helps break down some of the claims about the proposal. The biggest one that is being proposed by anti-abortion groups is that it would take away parental rights, allowing minors to get abortions and LGBTQ plus youth to get gender-affirming care. Does this constitutional amendment say anything about transgender health care for kids? No, it doesn't. If it's not in the text of the proposed amendment, then it's not going to change the law on those issues. He says the same policy applies for minors getting abortions. Current law requires them to get parental consent. And if they can't, they would need a judge to sign off on it. So what will happen if issue one passes? Put us back into the status quo of the law before overruling Roe. This means abortion would be allowed until 22 weeks. But would the Republican lawmakers be able to overturn it? Ellis says no. And the legislature can't rewrite it once it's in the Constitution. And if it fails? These justices are poised to reinstate and, and reimpose a six-week abortion ban. The Ohio Supreme Court is hearing a case on the state's current abortion ban, one that was blocked a year ago. Jesse Hill with the ACLU says the GOP-led court would likely put this ban back into effect. But Austin Beigel with End Abortion Ohio says his team is working for even more restrictions. He has been talking to lawmakers about a total abortion ban, and he says they've been receptive. We want there to be equal protection for all people. The Ohio House has previously proposed legislation abolishing it. At the Ohio State House, I'm Morgan Trout reporting. I love that guy that they interviewed who's like, I want to put an end to all abortion. Like, what is wrong with you? Can you just mind your own business? I don't. This this issue one, uh, you may be familiar with hearing about it a few months ago when it was put on the ballot as a as a way to thwart even getting this to this point, And it failed. Mm-hmm. When you it was interesting when you said that uh, abortion is on the ballot. Abortion's on the ballot all across the country. In this case, though, it's literally on the ballot. It's on the minds of Americans all across the country. We've got an election here just south of us in Virginia. um, And it's going to be telling, and I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, a trial balloon, as it were, about what is to come in 2024 and how voters are feeling about the fact that Roe has fallen, Roe has been overturned by a radical Donald Trump Supreme Court. And I think, I mean, my prediction, if I'm making predictions, I shouldn't be making predictions, but here I am making predictions. (laughs) Uh, This is going to go the way of um, pro-choice groups pro-choice Americans because overwhelmingly Americans are not for uh, the draconian, tyrannical overturning of Roe versus Wade and they agree that women, people seeking abortions deserve bodily autonomy and uh, this, I think, is going to go the right way. I think that's a pretty safe prognostication and I say that because abortion has been on the ballot in a handful of states. Yeah, even but, states like Kansas yeah. which are far more right-leaning than others. Right, and it continues to go the right way for for people who are pro-choice. So 
I think this is going to go the right way. I, I think that you're going to continue to see Republicans try to do what they can to, again, yeah. obscure what it actually is. I mean, they were lying and saying it's about parental rights because right. they know that that plays. They were lying saying that it has something to do with um, trans issues. I mean, they'll, they'll because, say... Because, oh, it's scary. Yeah, they'll say whatever they need to say because yeah. they know that they're going to lose and good. It's so strange to me. I mean, it's not strange. You know, uh, evangelical Christians are oftentimes just hypocritical liars and scumbags. But for them to just outright lie about what is in the bill in direct, you know, flying in the face of the the, the admonitions in their scriptures about lying and, and bearing false witness and all of this. They're just, they don't care. They want to fundamentally restructure America into a Christo-fascist state. And if that means lying and violating the, the tenets of their faith, eh, they don't care. Yeah, I also love that the the guy that they were interviewing in that package, they were like, so is this actually about parental rights? And he's like, no, if, if it doesn't say anything about parental rights, <laughs> right. then that doesn't have anything to do with parental rights. Like, just read the thing. I don't, yeah. <laughs> this isn't hard. Yeah, so uh, good news for, I mean, good news, we'll see. It is news. We don't know whether it's good or not, but we'll find out uh, on this next Tuesday when this goes to the ballot. Uh, but, you know, look, this is, a, this is a problem we're facing all across the country. This is a problem we're facing right now in the House of Representatives with our brand-new speaker, Mike Johnson, who is a nut sack radical evangelical Christian who believes that the earth is like 8,000 years old or some fucking nonsense. We are not moving into a direction that we want to be moving. We're moving backward. If you think it was bad with Kevin McCarthy and the way he believes, being an election denier, being a lapdog, sycophantic ass kisser of Donald Trump, Mike Johnson is even even, even worse. Yes, and we are going to do uh, a bit of a deep dive right now on who Mike Johnson is. So let's let's just start with the fact that he is a Republican representative from Louisiana, mm-hmm. and not a lot was known about him before he actually became Speaker, and that was one of the benefits, I guess you could say, of electing him because the Republicans could not decide who were we going to put up. We we can't we can't get enough votes to get Steve Scalise. We can't get enough votes to. Uh, get Jim Jordan. We can't get enough votes to get Kevin McCarthy back in there. Because too many people knew too much about them. Yes. Mike Johnson's like this unknown quantity. But now that we're knowing about him, we're learning about him, it's like, a, oh, holy shit. Yeah, I think Susan Collins was asked, like, before the vote, or I, I don't know, something she, she about was, him. Yeah, do you think you can work with him on the budget? Yeah, and she's like, I'm going to Google him later. <laughs> Not a great sign. Susan Collins. Not a great sign. But let's just kind of review who he is. So he's a close ally of Donald Trump. He is anti-abortion. He is anti-LGBTQ. We're going to get into that. He has horrible, disgusting views. Virulently anti-gay, anti-trans. Just sickening. Yeah. He voted against Ukraine aid, but he's he also, and this one's important, he opposed the certifying of the 2020 election. So you remember when the moderates, quote unquote moderates, yeah. were uh, not yeah, hard air quotes on that. Were not able to support Jim Jordan publicly in their vote for speaker <laughs> um, because he's so radical. Well, I don't know why somehow it changed and they're able to support Mike Johnson because he opposed certifying the 2020 election. He tweeted on November 7th, 2020, I have just called President Trump to say this. 
stay strong in your caucus. No. <laughs> stay strong and keep fighting, sir. The nation is depending upon your resolve. Mm. We must exhaust every available legal remedy to restore Americans' trust in the fairness of our election system. So... He's into it. He's on board. He joined in the lawsuit. In fact, I believe he was an intellectual architect of the law, one of the lawsuits that was challenging the results of the 2020 election. He wasn't just a, yeah, I support Trump. He was involved in the attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. You are correct, Jesse D., because according to reporting from the Washington Post, he led a group of 126 Republican lawmakers in filing an amicus brief to the Supreme Court, alleging that authorities in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan had usurped the constitutional authority of state legislatures when they loosened voting restrictions because of the pandemic. The court rejected the underlying complaint, blah, blah, blah. So, he- And by the way, since then, the Supreme Court has has done some work to um, reject the claim that states, state legislatures can just out of hand reject the will of the people. Yeah. So when it came out that Mike Johnson was going to be the guy, Republicans were putting him forward, they were taking it to the floor of the House, they were going to vote, there was a press conference held prior to the vote, and Republic, uh, reporters did their best to try to get at who he is, including asking him about his efforts to overturn the election results, and this was the response from Republicans. Johnson, you helped lead the efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. Oh, <laughs> Now, let me let me paint a picture for you if you're not watching this on YouTube. If you're not watching this on video, you don't know who the cast of characters that were around Mike Johnson. First of all, to his left, on screen right, directly there was Lauren Boebert. It tells you who he is surrounding himself with. Right behind him, over his right shoulder, screen left, was Steve Scalise cackling with glee while a reporter is being told to shut her mouth, being told to shut up, asking about his attempts to subvert American democracy. The woman you heard scream shut up was Virginia Woolf, a congresswoman, um, and radical. This is one just... um, an abject disrespect of the First Amendment. Everybody thinks the First Amendment is just freedom of speech, but freedom of the press, uh, to have a press that can can operate unfettered to get to the truth for the American people is a fundamental concept within the First Amendment that Republicans who scream about free speech all the time just don't give a shit about. Yeah, well, we're going to get into some of his inconsistent religious beliefs, but I do think it's funny that once he was elected Speaker of the House, he got up and talked about how he believes, his faith calls him to believe that God chooses its leaders and elevates people to certain positions of power. And I guess he believes that in like his elections, right. but he doesn't believe that in other elections where it might involve someone named President Joe Biden. Yeah, I, I guess exactly. I guess that's where there's a limit to God choosing the leader. But let's get into some of Mike Johnson's values, some of his comments that he's made because he's not well known and, and we want to make sure that you know who he is, that you know who 
every single Republican in the House voted for, even the ones who call themselves moderate. This is their guy. This is their guy. A guy who says that we should really hearken back to the 18th century for our values. Oh, you bigot. Can't you be a little more open-minded? Come on. That's so like 18th century, you know. Well, they told us that if we didn't maintain those 18th century values, that the republic would not stand. And so this is the condition we find ourselves in today. What exactly are the 18th century values you're talking about, Mike Johnson? Is it slavery? Is it women not having the right to vote? Is it uh, only white landowners having political power in this country? is Are those the 18th century values you're talking about? This is the way of the Republican when they talk this way, when people like Michael Knowles or Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro or any host of idiot conservative runs their mouths, they're very vague about what 18th century, what 1700s values it is that they're talking about. Because... As far as I'm concerned, the world is a lot better place. Our values are more uh, defined and secure and protective of marginalized groups than they were when rich white men were in control. Yeah, and I mean, this gets to the heart of his inconsistent views where there's just not a lot of clarity because, you know, he went on Sean Hannity after he, he got the speaker position and he said, you know, if you want to know about my views, if you want to know about what I believe, just pick up a Bible. <laughs> and it's like, okay, even within that book, there's a right. lot of very uh, contradicting ideas yeah. and themes. So, I mean, that it really tells me nothing about what, what you believe and what your values actually well, are. That, does that mean your values are if a man encounters a virgin who has not been pledged to be married and he rapes her, he should pay the father of the rape victim 50 shekels of silver and then he must marry the the rape victim meaning the rape victim must marry her attacker is that are those the just open up a bible you'll find out exactly what i believe is that what you're talking about mike johnson <laughs> Something is, is tells me. It? Something tells me. Maybe. I mean, actually, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> he would probably say, "Oh no, no, not not that. This other stuff over here, but not not that thing." Yeah. He's just very unclear. Classic about it. cafeteria style. We get it. So, Mike Johnson also, like we said, anti-abortion, and he's actually made some some strange comments regarding the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This is a clip from a. House Judiciary Committee hearing where he talked about Roe v. Wade giving constitutional cover and somehow made an argument that, like, if you allow abortions, then there's going to be fewer workers in the economy. Roe v. Wade gave constitutional cover to the elective killing of unborn children in America, period. You think about the implications of that on the economy. We're all struggling here to, to cover the bases of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and all the rest. If we had all those able-bodied workers in the economy, we wouldn't be going upside down and toppling over like this. Listen, the gentleman, I will not yield. I will not. Roe was a terrible corruption of America's constitutional jurisprudence. I love this. I love that the main concern is like, what about these babies that we can put to work? What about their labor? We're missing out on all this labor. Forgetting, of course, that um, people who are forced to have babies against their will are going to be 
inevitably taken out of the workforce for a period of time. Given the uh, lack of child care services yeah. and support that we have in this country, there are people that, if they have a child, are going to be taken out of the workforce because they can't afford child care, they can't access child care. And you'd think that he would care about those babies that are here and yeah. struggling right now or even the ones that haven't been born yet that are going to be struggling but no he just sees it as why are you killing the workers yeah it's so it is a bizarre thing that republicans who act like they have a stranglehold on economics and the workforce and how things work they completely ignore the fact of what the financial outcomes are generally for people who wait to have children people who have children early on don't do as well financially over the long haul. And if you don't do as well financially, you become more of a draw on the system. And if you do do well or better financially, you generate tax revenue. So he wants to act like he's got a stranglehold on this, but really it, it's a, it, 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 all it is is a religious adherence to his particular interpretation of his particular flavor of religion and it doesn't serve what facts are. Again, you know, believing that dinosaurs and humans live together on the planet, it's ahistorical, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so what's one of your favorite sayings, uh, Jesse, when, when you say that we live... Fuck straight off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's another one of your favorite sayings? When, when you say that we live in a democracy and people respond to that, what's your favorite saying that they respond? We don't live in a democracy. Oh, we live in a constitutional republic. Okay, we'll get, yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah. ready because Mike Johnson has a spin on that. Oh. Yes, he, he doesn't believe that we live in a democracy, but he believes we live in a, a, a biblical republic. You know, we don't live in a democracy because a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner, okay? It's not just majority rule. It's a constitutional republic. And the founders set that up because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. See, this is straight out of the teachings of a guy named David Barton, who is a, uh, and I'm seriously going to break my fucking fingers doing air quotes here, a constitutional scholar. This is a guy who believes that the Bible was literally used as a template for our constitution that the constitution wove into the fabric of our country and our laws structures from deuteronomy and it's all just a a wild stretch that has no basis if you listen we know because we have the federalist papers we have all of the notes and the 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 the, the the inner workings of what went on and what the arguments were when the Constitution was being formulated. And it was not based on the Bible. It is just a fabrication. It, again, strangely enough, radical right-wing evangelicals aren't adherent. They don't have any adherence to the truth. They're just liars. Well, and like other uh, Christian nationalists, he doesn't actually believe that there's uh, a separation of church and state. Right. And what's interesting is he's an attorney and he will use his training as an attorney, his education as an right. attorney to make this argument. What, what's happened, Alex, over the last 60, 70 years is that our generation has been convinced that there's a separation of church and state, right? You heard that term right. all the time. And most people think that that's part of the Constitution, but it's not. Remember, I'm a constitutional lawyer. I'm He's a constitutional lawyer. Yeah, you don't need... Just being a lawyer doesn't qualify you to make uh, 
spurless, inaccurate statements about the founding and about our history. Thomas Jefferson, who was involved in all of this, he wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists, and it was a group of people who were, uh, the way I understand it, upset about the separation of church and state. And Jefferson explained it very well that to whom are we going to give the power? Which group, which flavor of Christianity are we going to have run the country? And because no one wants to give up that power, no one gets it. You don't want the, the Mike Johnson wouldn't want Muslims being in control or atheists. Right, or atheists or any other flavor other than his own. And because of that, it should be a harbinger of doom that we would allow the the intertwining, the uh the non-separation, the integration of church and state. It's just it is nonsense and it is uh, the, the 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 standard operating procedure pattern and practice of white Christian nationalists to want their particular version to be the one that rules us all. Has he heard of the establishment clause? I mean, as a constitutional lawyer, you you would think. Just but curious. It sounds like he does, and doesn't. I, this is I'm this is uh, I'm saying that as a joke. He absolutely does want his particular interpretation of the Bible, the one of thousands of different interpretations, to 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 oppress the groups he hates and to lift up the groups that he is a part of. Yes. Well, and that is a good segue, Jesse, because we are now going to transition to his hateful anti-gay comments and we're going to play uh, two clips on this they are both from cnn where uh, cnn's k-file andrew kaczynski uh, dug up some anti-gay comments that mike johnson has made over the course of his career and we'll start here it's time for an honest conversation about homosexuality there's freedom to change if you want to CNN uh, K-File, Andrew Kaczynski, is out front. So, uh, Andrew, that's, um, you know, pretty unambiguous. But what else did you find? Yeah, so for years, uh, Johnson worked with this group called Exodus International on an anti-gay event aimed at teens. Now, Exodus was a leader uh, in what was called the ex-gay movement. We talked a little bit about it in that intro where they claimed that you could essentially uh, change somebody's sexuality through counseling, uh, through prayer. They basically treated uh, being gay as a mental illness. Now, Johnson uh, and this group, when he was a attorney at this socially conservative organization called the Alliance Defense Fund, collaborated on this event called the Day of Truth, and this was actually in response to a a pro-gay event called the Day of Silence. Um, It was to raise awareness about bullying uh, for gay teens, and then they launched this event the next day uh, in 2005 that was about basically they'd pass out cards, uh, they would tell people uh, that you could change your sexual behavior, they pointed teens to their website, and this had... um, uh, links to Exodus's uh, uh, ministries, and we actually have some audio of Johnson talking about that event. Let's take a listen to it. Our race, the size of our feet, the color of our eyes, these are things we're born with and we cannot change. But what these, these adult advocacy groups like the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network are promoting is a type of behavior. Homosexual behavior is something you do. It's not something that you are. Hmm. And 
I think we should note, too, that Exodus actually shut down in 2013. Their uh, founder issued a long apology apologizing for the hurt and pain that this sort of thing has caused. And we actually spoke to a former executive when we were working on this story. Uh, and he said that this sort of thing was very damaging for, for gay teens. So what else did you find on Johnson's record on gay rights? So homosexuality was a very, uh, it was a topic he talked about a lot. Uh, when that Lawrence v. Texas ruling came down in 2003, which threw out state sodomy laws, Johnson actually wrote to say that uh, he thought those laws should have stayed in place. He called homosexuality, uh, we reported last week, uh, inherently unnatural. He called it a dangerous lifestyle. Mm. Uh, he was very against same-sex marriage, and he actually said uh, it was going to bring down a democracy, and then he said people would be marrying their pets, uh, like goldfish, cats, things like that. <laughs> marrying a goldfish? I don't... He thinks people are <laughs> so fucking uh, idiot. Uh, dear God. So, um, in 2004, he also wrote a column saying that polygamists, polyamorous, and pedophiles will be next in line to claim equal protection after gay marriage. And whenever I read something like this, I'm just like, you know, that was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is he going to come out and? and say, hey, you remember that thing I wrote 20 years ago where I made this prediction (laughs) about how pedophiles were next in line? Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm super wrong about things because I have a terrible worldview. No, we're never going to hear them apologize and admit they were wrong, even though they are wrong. And, you know, as a part of this, I want to talk about their fundamental view. Mike Johnson's fundamental view is that homosexuality is wrong, that it can be changed through conversion therapy, mm-hmm. which is not true. Anti-science. And it's actually very damaging and harmful and should not be practiced. And, and his, in many states, is illegal to practice. In many states. His wife actually runs a counseling service that compares being gay to incest and bestiality. And uh, Huffington Post uncovered this. Her name is Kelly Johnson on the website that the counseling service is called Onward Christian Counseling Services. And they talk about that their their counseling services are grounded in the belief that sex is offensive to God if it is not between a man and a woman married to each other. It puts being gay, bisexual, or transgender in the same category as someone who has sex with animals or family members, Uh. calling all of these examples of sexual immorality. Now, what's interesting about this is the very next day that this was published in Huffington Post, uh, they took down this website. Oh, so they're not super proud of it. I mean, it seems like they're not. How strange that they would take down this thing that is in alignment with God. Why would they be ashamed of it? Why would they be afraid of it? Why would they run away from it if it is the word and belief of God, the almighty creator of everything seen and unseen? Right. And and why wouldn't they respond to a request for comment, which the Huffington yeah. Post requested from them, and, and there was no response? So, obviously, he's uh, uncomfortable with how everyone is digging up these previous statements so that everyone can see exactly who he really is. So, continuing with uh, K-File and Andrew Kaczynski's research here, <laughs> I want to play... You know, there's this meme online right now where... I don't know. They're talking about how like men can't stop talking about the fall of the Roman Empire or something. Yeah, Have I've you been seen seeing that. this? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And I guess like, like g- girlfriends or wives ask their husbands, 
how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And a lot of these ding-dongs are like, oh, at least once a day. Yeah. <laughs> Several times a day I think about the Roman Empire. Yeah, and I guess Mike Johnson is is right up there too, but like he can't help but think about gay sex. Many historians, those who are objective, would look back and, and, uh, and recognize and, and um, give some credit to the fall of Rome to not only the, the, the deprivation of the society and the, the loss of morals, but also to uh, the rampant you know, homosexual behavior uh, that was uh, condoned by the society. Uh, me think he protests, he doth protest too much. <laughs> Maybe he's a little too against and obsessed with the gay sex element here. Yeah, I mean, when you start, like, tracing everything to gay sex, it starts to get a little, like, you're thinking about it a lot. You well, know? you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised if he can if he can make a justification for anti-abortion laws because there's not enough workers. You know, <laughs> it, it, it makes a little bit of sense. Here, here's the thing that always has struck me about these people is that these are republicans these are people who have a libertarian strain running through their beliefs that life liberty and the pursuit of happiness should be at the forefront and the tips of all of our tongues that if you're not hurting anyone else you should be able to do what you want to do be your own person be the the, the master of your domain unless it happens to misalign with my particular mythology then we got a problem Oh, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. You're living your life. You're happy. You're productive. You're 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 not harming anyone. Sorry, that's not good enough. You need to live the way I believe you should live, or you're a pariah and you're an evil doer and a sinful, you know, fucker of goldfish. Apparently, yeah. So we want to touch on three more things with Mike Johnson. Number one, there's some controversy over whether or not he has this adopted black son that he has talked about in the past but doesn't really talk about anymore and then there's like no public photos of the son and so there was a lot of speculation online about like what's going on here because he's talked about having a black son and specifically when he like wants to be um, publicly against reparations and be like well I talked to my black son and he says that he's not for it so it's like it's like the next level it's like leveling up from well I've got a lot of black friends I'm okay I'm one of the good ones because I have black friends this just levels him up that he's He's adopted a black kid, so I can't be racist. Yeah, so again, after his um, election to Speaker of the House, there's a lot of questions about it. He was re- uh, His office was reached for a comment by Vanity Fair, and his communications director, Corinne Day, gave a statement saying that it, before he ran for Congress in 2016, or I guess the year he first ran for Congress in 2016, he and his wife spoke to their son, Michael. This is the black son, Michael, who apparently uh, didn't want to be in their new public life. Like mm. he, he didn't want to be involved in the public spectacle of, of him running. How convenient. But that they maintain a close relationship with Michael to this day. Uh, they were also asked if they formally adopted Michael because apparently he was 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Mike Johnson was 25. And they said because of the lengthy process... They did not formally adopt him. So he doesn't have a black son. He didn't adopt a black son. They, it was all for political points and posturing to be able to be as racist as he needs to be. The communica- gotcha. The communi- Fantastic. <laughs> Good to go, Mike Johnson. Woo! We got you. 
the communications director also declined to say whether Michael used the same surname as the family. Mm -hmm. But they say they have a close relationship today. So why why don't you just say you have a black friend? You don't have to say you adopted the guy who's your black friend, Mike Johnson. So a new reporting also came out from the Daily Beast uh, about his finances. Oh, this, I have heard this, and this is... Uh, hilarious. This is from uh, Roger Solenberger, who's a great reporter. Definitely follow him wherever you can. He's a fantastic reporter for the Daily Beast. And he found that Mike Johnson does not have a bank account. And because as a member of Congress, you need to uh, fill out your personal financial disclosures. Yeah. For and ethics reasons. Mike Johnson has filled those out, and they date back to 2016. And over the course of seven years, he's never reported a checking account savings account nor yeah. those accounts for his wife yeah, or his children you have to report for your spouse for your immediate family you have to report income and assets yes and so in this article basically what the thesis is is that it's it, it's unlikely that he doesn't have a bank account is what roger solenberger says but that he lives there's nothing paycheck in it. to paycheck <laughs> yeah. Because I think you would need to report it if it has over $1,000 in the account. Yeah. And so the logic here being that he... He's either lying about what the what, what the amounts are in accounts, or he doesn't have any money. Which, listen, this isn't an indictment of living paycheck to paycheck. Millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people live paycheck to paycheck in this country. The problem is you want this guy to be in charge of appropriations and budgeting and responsible responsible fiscal activity when he is a rich guy. He's making $190,000 a year, now more than that being Speaker of the House, and he's living paycheck to paycheck. That is a red flag to me. Yeah, well, and so, uh, it, like you're saying, the reason that you report these financial documents and and inform the public of what your financial situation is. So if you are in financial trouble, it kind of signals that you could be vulnerable to influence buying. Sure. And, you know, so maybe he's vulnerable to some of that. We don't know. Yeah, listen, you can't even get a a, a security uh, clearance if you have terrible enough credit. It, it, It does make you susceptible to influence because if you're just dirt broke and don't know what you're doing when you make this kind of money. And look, it is different with someone like Maxwell Frost, who had not good enough credit to get into an apartment, who's brand new in Congress. This is a guy who's been in Congress for six years, seven years now. He has a an established family. He has He's been like a radio host. He's had several professional jobs. He's a constitutional lawyer. You would think he would have the wherewithal to be able to scratch together a few dollars to have at least a savings account, right? A retirement account, which he also has not reported. This is a problem, without a doubt, for the guy who is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, second in line to the President behind first in line to the president behind the vice president of the united states it's a problem well and on that note so mike johnson is planning to cut roughly 14 billion from funds that were allocated to the irs in order to uh, get some aid to israel and 
the Congressional Budget Office. That's right. Uh, recently, CBO. Sa- yeah, said that this is actually going to increase the deficit by ninety billion over ten years if they go through with this plan. If House Republicans go through with this plan to cut the IRS's budget in order to give emergency aid to Israel, and Mike Johnson was asked about this because you know Republicans they're very concerned about the deficit. Again, and, hard finger breaking air quotes. Yeah, they don't <laughs> want to increase it. Certainly, they're all about ensuring that whatever they do does not increase the deficit. Yeah, they be careful, everybody. Be careful. Surprised by the CBO score, sir? Not surprised at all. Only in Washington, when you cut spending, do they call it a Are you alarmed an increase by the in the deficit? Only in Washington, do you, if you cut spending, does it increase the deficit? The hairpit there. The reason that is is because the IRS and the enforcement arm of the IRS, the auditors, the people who go through and make sure people are paying what they are, what what the government is owed, what they are due in taxes. If you cut the funding of that, then they're not able to go through and enforce people to pay the taxes they owe, and the budget is impacted. You dumb shit. Well, and interestingly enough, and I bet this is not connected at all. I bet there's no connection here, but I just <laughs> I, want to throw it out there. I get the idea that something that you're going to say is absolutely connected. I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> a month ago, the IRS said that they were going to start pursuing 1,600 billionaires who owe at least 250000 each in overdue taxes. Wow. Um, and that that was going to be their priority in terms of revenue and now it's like, hey, we need to cut the IRS because we actually don't want them to do that. It's it's not, they're not even sly about it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're going to cut the IRS. Well, why do you want to do that? Well, they're going after our voter base. They're going <laughs> after rich people. Yeah. So, uh, Mike Johnson, terrible, terrible person to have in a position of power. Dangerous person to have in a position of power. Let me, let me, let me drop the disclaimer and then I will add something. The views and opinions of Jesse Dolamore are solely those of Jesse Dolamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. You put a qualifier on there that he is a terrible person to have in a position of power. I would say he's a terrible person. Boop. Period. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. You don't need a disclaimer for that. I mean, it's very clear. But it C- particularly I, being in a position of power is dangerous. Without and a doubt. And it's scary. And I think people were saying, I'm afraid for Jim Jordan to be in a position of power. I think you should be afraid for anyone who has views like this to be Speaker of the House. And remember that every single House Republican voted for this man. Yeah, listen. He's a young earth creationist. We didn't really cover that, but he believes the earth is fewer than 10,000 years old, which by virtue of that fact would mean he believes that human beings and dinosaurs coexisted. He thinks the Flintstones is a fucking documentary, not a cartoon. He also questions the existence of of gays or whether they should exist. He wants to adhere to a, an 18th century, a, a, a 1700s version of morality and duty and values. This is, without a doubt, and it's not just a, uh, uh, an invective, he's a bad guy. He's a terrible person. Or, at the very, the most charitable explanation, he's stupid. So, I don't want a terrible person being Speaker of the House, and I don't want a stupid person being Speaker of the House. And by virtue of that, 
not qualified. Yeah. So remember who Mike Johnson is uh, as we move through into election season. Remember that Republicans put him into a position of power and remember who the Republican Party is. Yeah. We are going to leave you there. We would ask for your communication and your questions and your comments to help us move the conversation forward as we like to do on on an episode-by-episode basis. You can call 657-464-7609 and leave a brief, fewer-than-three-minute voicemail. Google Voice will cut you off. Uh, (laughs) Don't call back. Just leave it at that. Or you can email, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. Once again, we would encourage you, we would invite you to join the Patreon family, help produce this content on an episode-by-episode basis. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast and help support there. I think also, you know, we we usually in our end our interviews talking about what's the most recent thing our guest has changed their mind about. Mm-hmm. And just to throw it out there real quick, since you said don't keep calling and leaving multiple voicemails, we've started blocking people. Oh, we have done. That. And I I think that that's something we've changed our mind about that we're just not going to tolerate certain things and spamming the box of like seriously 30 calls and yeah. like Messages just left repeatedly, repeatedly. We can't, we can't have well, it. it. Well, it just clouds, it It, help, it, it uh, disables us from being able to get to the people who want to have earnest communication. Yeah. So if you're going to be fucking around, you will get blocked. Absolutely. And unapologetically. Yeah, so don't even try it. Yeah. <laughs> don't even, don't even try it. <laughs> you heard it there. We're going to leave you there. We love you. We appreciate you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We'll see you next time on 892. We're almost to 900 episodes. Wow. Uh, We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.